Hello, I'm Adam Bema, a journalist and media trainer in Yangon. On this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, I speak to Myanmar's trailblazing podcaster, Nandar. Last year, Nandar started G-Daw Zagarwin podcast along with members of the Purple Feminist Group. The name G-Daw Zagarwin comes from a nickname Nandar was given growing up in Shan State. She says it means a woman willing to speak up for herself and others to begin a dialogue. We met in Yangon. Okay, first, can I just have you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Nanda, and I'm a feminist activist. I write, I translate, I perform. Yeah, I run an organization called Purple Feminist Group, eh, which produced a podcast called Jiro Zagawai, both in English and Myanmar languages. Right, now you just recently started producing your podcast in English. Yeah. How has that gone? Because you've been doing it almost for a year now in, in Myanmar yes. language? Uh, the English one we recently started because of the COVID-19 reason that we thought we might provide a, a, a space where we could, you know, expand our audience. One is two is to provide our audience with more content since this COVID-19 has kind of make them more depressed than ever. So I think it would, we thought that it would be nice to, we, we, in, we have more time in our hand as well uh, because we are not traveling. So we produce this English one. It's been received really well than we thought. We thought that we would have a very limited number, but we reached over a thousand listeners since we launched. Yeah. And so last year you launched the podcast from, your, from the Purple Feminist Group. You were also the host of that podcast. What was the purpose of, of, of giving voice to um, you know, your feminist organization here in Myanmar? Um, we, we believe that women already have voice. We are just a platform to amplify those voices, to reach out to a larger community, to make them understand the lives and struggle women go through in order to get where they are. So we are here just to amplify their voices. The podcast mainly focuses on the, the journey of women and girls of becoming who they are, which means that it has a different themes with different speaker. It just really depends on the person who I'm speaking to, you know. They are... They have women that share their story with their family, how they struggle to become the writer that they wanted to be. And there are women who uh, tell the story of violence, um, how they overcome those, um, how they had to build the courage to leave the partner that has been violence toward them. And there are women who have kind of show the path of becoming the woman that, is, that they are, so that the younger woman could aspire to be something like that in the future. So the theme is really kind of not limited within one category. We allow women to speak about what they want to speak, what they think is important for the community to learn from their personal experience. So it differs in each episode depending on on the speaker experience. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how many episodes of the podcast you've produced and what's, what are some of the topics and themes that you've discussed uh, over the course of the year through your podcast? 
so we have launched seven episode uh, by now and each we have talked about menstruation consent domestic violence literature and art and i was at the uh, live podcast uh, recording that you did for international women's week you had a guest win mintan and what were i believe that you two were i know it was in burmese but you two were discussing consent um how important was that issue to discuss at that specific time during women's week and uh you know raise awareness about it here in myanmar i think it was more important than ever because uh some week prior to that we have received the a POVAW law um from the government then and we were reviewing that and one of the section in that that if a woman is on drug or some kind of um uh what do you say unconscious situation she is not given consent to you but then government seem to get rid of that thing when it and kind of give us back and that was a heated debate going on with women's rights activists and women's organization in Myanmar and that particular uh, live show was aimed to explore that why this is important and why it's important to talk about consent not only in the um, policy perspective but also this um grassroots level like why people need to understand the importance of consent and how can we start that conversation and how can we integrate in our work life and personal life as an individual so i think we tackle particularly on sexual and physical consent in that um life podcast and we really believe that that podcast has or that event has kind of reached to people in a way that could that could inspire or kind of even give them responsibility to keep this conversation going with their friends and family yeah and why use uh, the audio format why use podcasting to reach an audience with some of these messages and education that your you know educational content that you're trying to distribute we want to reach out to the grassroots community and initially we focus on writing and educating people but we realize that there are many many people out there in Myanmar who do not uh, read you know who do not go to school and those people also deserve to get access to this kind of information that are important to their life and their choices so we change it into audio format uh so that anyone even if they have disability to read they can access to this information um easily and obviously the majority of people in Myanmar speak or understand the Myanmar yeah. language of course in some of the ethnic communities that might not be the case there's different ethnic languages there's several across the country do you use the Myanmar language because it reaches more people using myanmar language was important to us because we think that in most majority of the people in myanmar like you said speak myanmar language and second thing is because there's very limited information written 
Dao in Myanmar language about those topics that we have been tackling as well. So I think having this information or pod, listening to this podcast could not only one educate them but also would urge them to learn more and question more and question better. And why have you decided to start producing uh, some podcasts in English? The last two that you said you produced in English, why have you converted to start doing English content? One is that because of COVID-19, our work plan has to changed or at least postponed. Because of that reason, we realized that we have been willing to do the English podcast as well because we think that there are certain issues that needs to reach internationally. Because Myanmar, looking back the history of Myanmar, particularly women history of Myanmar, it has been undocumented, particularly in um, in other language than Myanmar language. So we think that access to this kind of information uh, about women is important to be translated in many languages as possible. So having this English podcast where we could talk about uh, women's life in Myanmar to the international audience would one under- broaden the understanding of Myanmar women's image that a lot of us has been brainwashed to believe that Myanmar has um, reached to gender equality. We want to let the audience, international audience, to know that that is not true by telling the story of women of Myanmar. And do you actually go out into rural communities and, and hear the stories of women who are, you know, facing day-to-day um you know, their day-to-day struggle and learn about how they're, like, overcoming a lot of the issues that uh, you discuss in the podcast? Right. We go to women who are doing the community work, who are doing the better changes in the grassroots community, and we go to them and we see their life and we talk to them, their why they are doing what they are doing and why it's important. So that way we could not only sit down and tell people this is important we could listen and empathize with her why this issue has been something that is important to the to the community she lives with you know so we go to them and that's why our podcast is mobile podcast thing that we could we don't make people come to us we go to them and we see their life and we we try to listen to their stories by being there for them not inviting them here. What are some of the communities that uh, you've reached out into or that you've gone to to record some stories and interviews? Have you gone to some of the um, ethnic states around the country? Yes, we went to Shan State and um, Mandalay. Particularly right now because our po- we, we went there last year with a very limited uh, budget. It kind of limit our... Um, activity of interviewing women so we interview Burmese women, Pao women, Shan women, Kachin women, Rakhine women uh, who are in those city that we or city and villages that we went. I think particularly women's life in, in a rural area are quite limited and quite um, strict to the domestic um, um, quite limited to the domestic uh, Work because that is believed to be the work, noble work for women to be do, to, for women to do. 
So there's still a very conservative um, view of what women uh, of what women are worth here in Myanmar. Yeah, there has been improvement of uh, perspective on like what a woman should be in Myanmar, mostly in big city, but in rural area because the role of women are very limited within domestic um, work, it has been very challenging or hard for people to accept that women can be more than just one thing, just a daughter, just a wife, just a mother. She can be more than that. But what I'm saying, when I say that it's more challenging in rural area, I don't mean that the problem does not exist in big city. Big city, the gender inequality still exists, but it's more subtle and it's more, um, it has its own different form, form of violence and uh, discrimination compared to the rural area. In rural area, it's very obvious, it's in your face. And if you can overcome that kind of barrier that's in your face, they accept you. They accept you as a capable woman. For example, I'm from a very small village in northern Chan state. People used to tell me I can't be more than just a wife. I, my life should be limited within marriage. But I didn't get married at the age they expect me, expected to me to. I think I came to a point in my life, especially when I went to study in Bangkok, social science. That's where, when I came back, I realized all my human rights. I was never trained to believe in Myanmar. I learned that outside Myanmar and I came back becoming the fierce child that I used to be. And in a more conscious level, you know, where I understand how to debate my rights, or at least how to debate my um, statement and how to ask for my right, you know, how to fight for what I believe. And I think that's when I started to build my activism since 2014, when I fight for my personal liberation, you know. I think activism can... Feminism is not about personal liberation. It's about more than that. You know, it's about uh, women's having their all rights exercise. You know, have women having their rights, human rights, as equal as other gender, male gender. Right. And when you returned home after after your studies, is was it then when you started collecting some of the stories from your own family and from your own community? And what were some of those stories that you were able to learn from? I think I've always kind of feel unjust about what is happening with me and people around me, especially to women around me. But I've never been able to articulate those um, issues that they were facing and those things that they were going through. But learning social science from Bangkok and coming back, I was able to articulate them. I had the knowledge to articulate them. And I think that's when I started to write those down or at least um, being able to consciously address those issues and fight for it and argue with people. Even though I love them deeply, but I had to voice out, I had to speak up because I had the courage to, or at least I have the knowledge that this was not right and I could explain them why it's not right. And but did you, I think the one thing that stuck me mostly as a child or 
even now when i look back to my family or community was pervasive of domestic violence you know it was very pervasive in in my community and it was so normalized it was so normalized and even for me to i was i of course as a community member also normalized it for a long time but i think having that knowledge of human right helped me to unlearn those normalization that i internalized deeply and started to speaking out helped me to build more courage and i think the more i speak even though there were least and least people that were sticking up with me these stories that i've gone through and that my generation of my parents my my grandparents have gone through has come to an end and with the um, you know the recent democratization in Myanmar with the uh, dropping of censorship and more ability for young people to speak their minds and and discuss some of these issues that uh, like feminism that maybe you know before 2012 weren't really talked about in the country do you see you know this time as as being the time for someone like you to you know bring these issues to the fore and really push for change yeah i think we live in a time where we we can be tremendously open up to the world as we like but i think it's also a very scary moment to be alive that you can be easily dismissed or you can easily be judged and criticized largely you know and that can be scary but i think despite that a lot of women are building the courage to to speak up to stand up for what they believe even though they know that it's the most vulnerable time to be to be to to be speaking up and and i think it's courageous as we see on social media it can be quite a toxic environment where a lot of misogynism is spread um through posts and in trolling of of women's accounts uh how do you deal with that kind of you know that kind of issue that obviously it rears its ugly head from time to time and how do you and how do you deal with this issue how do you discuss this issue with other um young women activists <laughs> this is a funny one actually i think when i was starting my social media activism i was a little bit resentful whenever there's this um i have this defense mechanism you know whenever someone comment me about something they opposed to my view i would feel this the need to defend my view and like push them a little bit far by telling them that what they believe is wrong but i think over the past few years i have developed particularly since last year um i've developed a, a skin not really a thick skin where i don't get hurt i still get hurt by certain bad comments or negative view on my activism but i've developed a skin where i accept that not everyone will like me and like my points of view even my fellow activism would not particularly be profound of the way i'm approaching my activism or the way i'm solving this um uh, issues but i think what i need to understand what i have understood is that i am i am allowed to have my own views in a non-violence way and as long as my my approach to this activism is non-violence 
and is helping to a community member that I believe is impacting them positively, I keep going. And I, I, I like to... I like to believe that my activism is slow but constant and that for me is very important and with this social media having this very easily criticized or what for what you say and what you do now when I see a bad comment I just delete them I don't waste the energy to respond to them or feel them by looking at those screens like every time and feel negative about myself i now realize that the person that is sending a negative message or negative comment to me is the one who is who is going to something negative and i i'm not here to take those negative energy in my life i can't welcome those because there's this famous um feminist that i highly admire um deborah she said that never read comment. If you read comment, you want to stop doing what you're doing for the rest of your life. And I don't want to welcome that kind of energy in my life. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and the, if the best way to do it is to not read comments, I can do that. <laughs> Deborah, she's a feminist here yes. in Myanmar? No, she's in, from the UK, but she's now based in, the, in Canada, actually. I don't know where she exactly is, but she runs a feminist podcast called Guilty Feminist. Okay. Yeah, Guilty Feminist podcast. She does a lot of um, live podcasts, uh, and and it's so funny. Yeah. And which you've also done a live podcast recording uh, in March. Is that something that you would like to do more of? Because I know podcasting is a very solitary uh, endeavor. You know, you work with a, maybe a small team, and you. You know, maybe you write a script, uh, do some, record some interviews, then you, you know, yeah. you broadcast your voice, you read the script, you put the story together, and then you put it out there. But reaching the community by showing them how, you know, it's an interview is transacted, is that something that you want to do more of in the future? Yeah, definitely. I've been all already preparing more collaboration for live show with other organizations. Uh, possibly this year, uh, hopefully if this pandemic will not disturb us anymore if that if this can get back to old normal i think we would be able to do at least one more live podcast and uh, we are planning to do at least twice a year and uh, this kind of live podcast one is to engage with the audience directly two is to kind of have this kind of i think when we are having speaker in an intimate place it's good but i think when we have them with a larger audience, it makes them more visible for the speaker to share their story as well. I think it makes them heard life. <laughs> yeah. And you can play off the energy of the crowd. The crowd's obviously very interested in the conversation, and it's not just two people in front of a microphone. It's a whole audience there responding to what's being said, and then maybe afterwards Connecting. raising their hand mm -hmm. and, and yeah, interacting with you and your, your guest. Yeah, now do you have a lot of broadcast experience because you seem very professional when you're, you know, broadcasting yourself and when you're in front of a live audience speaking, you know, doing public speaking events. Is this something that you've worked on or is it just come natural to you? <laughs> I don't know. My mom told me I would always be some kind of speaker. She believed in it. But I think as a young child, I was always always craving for attention. This will relate to a lot of 
childhood trauma that I have. <laughs> Unpacking my trauma. I think as a child, I struggled to get attention from my parents, but because they both were very busy parents. My father was always away. My mother was always busy with domestic work, and we have a shop. But I have a lot of public speaking experience as a child. I used to dance a lot and give some sort of stupid, lame speeches. <laughs> so you're used to being in front of an audience? Yeah, since I was a child. I think maybe that kind of helped me develop my confidence being in with an audience. But in terms of podcasting, I have, since I was in Bangkok studying social science, we had to do a lot of uh, journalism um, project with our uh, group project. And I think that's where I was, I don't know, somehow I was always forced to be become the journalist role and the rest of my team would be doing the editing and other stuff so I think that's how I was also kind of professionally somehow trained in schools and yeah. yeah you obviously have a lot of important stories to share and you're able to communicate it in a way that not a lot of other people can so yeah I guess I want to thank you for that and I appreciate your time today thank you for having me Thanks to Nandar, host of Jidaw Zagarwin Podcast, for joining me on Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, a fortnightly podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. And check out New Narrative's website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. If you enjoy what New Narrative does, please do support this by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join. Membership start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. This is Adam Bema wishing all listeners a great week ahead. Thanks for tuning in.